somebody. See, a battle cry was a phrase or a word shouted by people as they started to fight. It was intended to give them strength and wish to fight harder. It was meant to frighten the enemy. It was a battle cry. It was the loud shout right before war was gone out. It's what declared that I am going to win this battle. Amen. We declare war. Psalms 98.4 says, so go ahead, everyone, and shout out your praise with joy. Break out of the box and let loose with the most joyous sound of praise. So go ahead, everyone, and shout out your praise with joy. Break Amen. out of the box and let loose with the most joyous sound of praise. I want to read this to you, something that I found about this scripture. It says, what does it mean to shout joyfully before the Lord? Our ideas are usually shaped by the English translations as well as our own experience. But an understanding of the Hebrew word can give us a new dimension on this proclamation. This word primarily was used in the Bible in connection with going to war. It was first used to describe how the Israelites were to face their adversaries. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. That was Numbers 10.9. It was used to describe how the Israelites were to shout as they marched around Jericho. And to describe the shout of the Israelites as they pursued the Philistines after David killed Goliath. This word is not associated with anything quiet or passive. In fact, it indicated a sound so loud that it would split the ears. It meant making a loud noise before an army went into battle and before it engaged an enemy. In Psalms, we may think of shouting joyfully as being similar to polite worship service. But in fact, the Bible describes something more like a battle cry. It should have the same kind of intensity associated with going to war. It means associated, it means praising God, with the kind of boisterous confidence the Israelites had as they marched around Jericho. This also brings new meaning to the shouting with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Today, put these instructions from the Bible into practice in your life. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Amen. As you go into the battles of life, be confident and bold. God is on your side, and the victory is already won. We declare war. We declare war. war. Amen. It's time to get loud about Jesus, guys. When you go for war and they line up, it is a rumble that everybody can hear. No more being quiet. Weeping may come for a season, but joy comes in the morning. No more being quiet. No more crying. It's time to declare war. We declare war. We declare war. We declare war. Come on, let's say it. I'm going to get my drum out. We declare war. We declare war. Say it. We declare war. Say it loud. We declare war. Say it so they can hear it. We declare war. I don't know about you, but... It if I was the enemy, I wouldn't want nothing to do with that. We declare war. We don't back down. We pull up the bootstraps. We have already been dressed, grit dressed. We already know the characteristics. We already know all that it takes to get ready for that. We declare war. When you think about war, when you think about when somebody or a country declares war, what happens? All their allies come together. The enemy starts to do their thing. Do you? I thought about this because I knew what I was going to preach, and all of a sudden, this morning, after I worked out and everything, I was in the house, and my back just seized up. And it... It is in between feeling good and feeling really bad right now. But I put my shoes on. I said, we declare war. We declare war. Devil, you're not going to stop me from getting up on this and saying those statements. If I said nothing else, and if it was the only thing I said and we left after this moment, we declare war. Have a good day. 
it's going to be up. Not just here, like, oh, that was a good church service. I don't know if you understand this. Can we start taking the word of God for real instead of making it a fairy tale story? Can we start doing it for real that the whole Bible is a war story anyway? Now, we're not going out there going, creating a militia and doing crazy stuff. We're talking about declaring war against the enemy, taking back families, building the local church, helping other churches, taking sickness and letting it be done because he gives us the power to do all these things. We're going to declare war on poverty. We're going to keep serving. We're going to keep loving. We're going to keep helping. We're going to keep getting in the shadows. We declare war. Not talking about it. That's, this is what we do. This is the next chapter, and we are about to celebrate at the end of this month, year 10. That's why there's an X right there, but not only an X, but just know it represents other things. But for this right here in this moment, we declare war, year 10, and we're not going back. We're not shifting to the side, making a declaration. It shifts everything. It, it, it scares people. It even scares people within the army. When you say we declare war, that means you make it public, you make it known that the enemy, we got you. You've done ticked me off. It's been overdue. We declare war. We're done. And I think if we can start declaring war and then in our own lives living that, I'm telling you right now, it's time to declare war. It's time to declare war right here, right now. Year 10, and we're already starting it early, and we've not done that before, but year 10, we will celebrate that service. I'm telling you right now, game changer forever. Don't get comfortable in your seat. Game changer forever. You might as well worship with one eye closed and one eye open just in case somebody might snatch your purse. Game changer forever. And you wonder why I just said that? Because lost people need church. That's the point. Why do we think that church is only meant for Christians? It's not. It's meant for whosoever. It's meant for anybody, the broken, the hopeless, the hope. We have to build. Because this whole room is full of remnants that were lost that hit up in the caves and, and, and try to figure out where they belong and where they fit and, and even going from place to place or church to church trying to figure out where do I exist? What, what, what am I doing? What's my purpose? God wants to use you. It's time to declare war in all areas. Now listen, that statement makes the enemy mad because what's the enemy doing in general? They try to, to rally up their forces. But I know there's one scripture that trumps it all. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And the greatest part about declaring war is it doesn't make sense to the, the carnal. It doesn't make sense to the people that don't know who God is because this war is a different kind of war. It's fought with love. It leads with love and compassion. This war is different. This war is a surrender war. Where we, why, you wonder why people lift their hands in worship? Because we surrender to God. I don't, that, that's just only, some people don't believe in that. Some people struggle with that. They think they're looking, somebody's looking at me. Nobody's looking at nobody. You do you. Worship the key. The only way it's awkward is because you're making it awkward. Just worship the key. So we surrender because we know that the only way war is going to, that we're going to win the war is if the king is leading the war. We've all personally have declared war in our own selves, in our own flesh. Go to war with somebody because they talk to you crazy, and so you're going to come back at them crazy. I've gone to war in the car because somebody's going to cut me off, so I'm going to drive up a little faster and cut them off. I've gone to war. We've all gone to war in our own weird ways, and it didn't get us anywhere. We might have felt good for a moment. We gone to war with the wall and punched a hole in it. Did that, did that help? Nope. You patched it later, or you had to fix your hand. Anybody else been there? Am I the only guy that's had anger problems? 
Look, we real here at Remnant Church. We, God just uses a bunch of crazy people. It's the island of misfit toys, I think, sometimes. <laughs> Nobody wants a Johnny in a box. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now what God is looking for. I don't know how to do that if I declare war. I don't know how to be used in that. Well, he gives us the map. He gives us the, the we can lay this whole thing out and look at it. But what he really needs is a willing vessel. That's it. You can have no, I, I don't even know how to operate this. I don't know how to do this. It does not matter. If you're willing, he will download the wisdom into your soul. But just be willing to declare war. Be willing not to settle. Let's get into this because there's so much I want to say. You, you'll want to come back next week. Every week's going to be different. You're going to come in here and look at things, and we're like, what the heck, where'd that come from? Um, just keep coming back. <laughs> in ancient Hebrew, there's a word, or three words, called rock, kajak, amatz. And it was an ancient war cry, meaning strong and courageous. And it was cried out as they were going into battle, but it meant to be tenacious and zealous in heart. When I think of that statement, I think of one man in the Bible who reminds me of a tenacious and zealous heart after God, and that was David. David. David had a heart. He's the only person ever to be said to have a heart literally after God. Yeah. David was the man whose heart was tenacious and zealous for God and not afraid to declare war on the enemy. David was not afraid. Well, I want to read to you 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you want to go to it today, we're going to kind of be bouncing around a little bit in it and then back to chapter 16 to give you some backstory for just a second. But in chapter 17, just to kind of start out, um, it talks about how the Phil Philistines were gathered, Philistines, Philistines, whatever you want to say, that's how you want to say it. I don't really care. Either one gathered their uh, armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Azekah. So they were just, let's put it straight, all these big words, pretty much they were on one mountaintop, and then the Israelites were on another mountaintop, and in between them was this big valley. And out here, they sent their best, the Philistines sent their best warrior, which was Goliath, to go and fight this battle, saying, if any man can come and fight me and beat me, then that wins the war. You defeat it. And what was crazy about Goliath is he was large for that time frame. I mean, he was over nine feet tall. I mean, that's, that's pretty big. And he was pretty large at that time, it says. And there came out, this is verse 4, from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And, this shield, and his shield bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and Israel heard these words of the, of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So at this time, now you have the Israelites that are freaking out because, you know, they probably feel like, you know, shrimp compared to Goliath. And they're thinking, I, there's no way that any of us are going to defeat him and I'm going to die. Who's going to volunteer? Nobody. And not even anybody said they wanted to draw for straws because nobody wanted to do that either. They just were literally terrified of the enemy out in front of them. Any of you ever been that way? Ever felt that way? Literally terrified of the thing that was facing you and you knew that you didn't want to face that and you didn't even want to draw for straws for anybody to face that because you just wanted to get out of the situation. Well, he's and, the biggest thing you've ever seen. That's right. I mean, there's no nine... I, I mean, LeBron James would try to put him on his team to win, but, you know, like, <laughs> yes, he'll still lose. But there's no body like that. And when you see somebody that's over nine foot tall and it said that the head of the spear was 15 pounds by itself, just, just the head of it. 
and how much weight he had to carry and his armor bearer had to carry a shield to go before him that had to be a little bit as big as who he was. And the pressure to think that one man, there's an old, older movie back in 2000 called Troy, where it's like one-on-one. You fight, we'll win. whoever wins takes the whole thing. It's just like that, that whoever defeated the other team won. It wasn't like a full-out fight at the beginning. And the pressure to think, man, this guy said, if you, if you defeat me, you can have our army. If I defeat you, you, your army bows down to us and we take you. And to feel like that, I don't know if I could win that. The, the doubt to think, I can't get through this, this fight. The doubt that the giant is so big in my life, and he keeps, it said, what, 40 days? That this, for 40 days, comes out and taunts. For 40 days. Look, guys, some of us have had a giant in our lives taunting way more in 40 days in our minds. Saying you're not going to make it. You're, you're, you're worthless. You're not going to do anything. And so we don't know how to defeat it. Where do I start? That's always the problem sometimes. Where do I start? How do I start this process? And, and here we are in this moment. We're dressed. We're ready. You got your armor on. We're, we're sitting at the table. We're giving you the instructions. We declared war, so we're getting ready to take off. And it's just the matter of fact of just saying, okay, I'm going to go forth. But the problem happened for 40 days that everybody was being selfish, worried about themselves, not worried about the, the kingdom of God, not worried about anything else. But if I, if I lose one, I'm going to die, and the whole, you know, the whole kingdom, it's on me. And not wondering if, like, man, I could, we could do this. We could take this guy. And not only try to take him, I mean, you're... In my head, I'm thinking about when I read, I don't know if you guys ever read the story of David and go back before David, and I, they said, send out your mightiest men. The, well, the, I, to me, the mightiest man of that time before David was probably Jonathan. That dude was buck wild. He was going up mountains, defeating the enemy by himself with an armor bearer before the whole army would try to do something. That guy was crazy, and not even him would move a muscle, and I don't think the king would allow it. Then they started to put a little, bit of, a little bit of money on the table. Whoever does it's going to get my wife or my, my daughter as a wife and get riches and, you know, be a part of the royal family. And yet, still at that, if I lose, the whole, everybody loses. If I win, everybody wins. But there was no option to think you could even win. You ever been there where you just feel like you just can't win it? That every time you turn around, it's just another thing. It's just the Goliath keep coming out day after day, saying the same stuff every morning and waiting for you to make a move, and you don't. And he says it again and again that you're not going to make it. Your family's not going to do it. Your finances are always going to. Your health is always going to. It's time to declare war. So here we have David. David was the son of Jesse. He was the youngest of eight brothers at this time, and David's three older brothers were out at war during this time, and what happened was Jesse told David to go down to the field and take provisions to his brothers, take food and some supplies to his brothers, so at this time, David goes down at the time that they're getting ready to go into war, and he begins to hear Goliath taunting. He begins to hear what Goliath is saying, and it begins to kind of irritate and irk him and what happens it said now Saul this is in verse 19 now Saul and they all the men of the Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle again up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, as he talked with him, behold, the Philistine, the champion of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke some words, the same words, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from 
him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So at this moment, David is like, who is this fool? What is he talking about? And who does he think he is that he can defy the living God? The one who's control over the army, who's commander in chief of it all. Why, why is he even talking? Well, he wasn't even concerned with the fact of your reward. You're going to get hurt and you're going to get riches. You're going to get, he's more concerned that this guy is talking crazy about the Lord and coming against his army. You have to have a boldness in your life. Right. Enough's enough. Why do we cower down and just put up with it? Why do we put up with the talk? Why do we put up with it so much? And it's just a part of our life. Well, it's just what it is. It's just another. Why do we put up with it? We have to declare war. That's right. So here David is going around from man to man asking, and all of a sudden uh, his brothers begin to get really ticked off at David because they're jealous. They're jealous of David. They're jealous of some things that took place right before David came out to this encampment. And David said, you know, I'm going to go talk to Saul pretty much and see what's going on. So it said, and this is in 32, it said, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose from me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then we get into this little section where Saul begins to try to put on his armor on David. And David puts it on in vain, trying to, you know, please the king at first. But then he's like, I can't fight in this. This is not made for me. This was not mine. This is, this doesn't even feel right. Have you ever been in a battle where you've, you know, tried to fight in the way that everybody else is telling you to fight and the world's way are telling you to fight and deal with the problem, you know, and, and handle it the way that yeah. it seems right. But you know that God made a fitting just for you in the battle that you're in so that you can handle it the way that he has already provided. We, we do that too many times. We even think at times that if I can just pray like mama prays because she touches heaven, if I just do it the way mama does it, why can't I touch heaven? Well, you're not your mama. God created you to be unique. You have your own print. You can touch heaven the way you can touch heaven. But you got to start going for the touch. Well, you got to remember what God did, you, did for you before. He'll do it again. Yeah. And that's what David remembered. He remembered what God did before he was going to do again. So David takes the armor off and just grabs his sling and goes get five smooth stones and goes down to the battle line. Well, see, here's, a, here's the problem we face. Saul's already had an issue. If, you, if you've read these stories, Saul's already had an issue in the past. And Saul wants the glory. That's why he sent the, the prophet to go with him to make sure everything was good. But he was already lost his anointing. And to try to dress David that David wasn't even prepared for. It's unfortunate, but it was almost in a prophetic way that you're going to be king without David even being king yet. But try to make Saul look good in the same hand. Look, it's the king's armor. And whatever David did, it was going to try to represent the king again. Like the king did it. Well, it's his sword. Well, it's the king's. And it's not. You, you, you can't wear other people's stuff. It's just not going to work right. It's not fitted for you. These things were fitted to the T for the individual. And you have to know what works for you. And, and, and too many times, I mean, there was already the bickering with the, the siblings. Anybody been there? 
Why are you here? You're just causing trouble, you know, being jealous and that. There was already chaos back in the day when, see, before that, David was already anointed, you know what I'm saying, as king. But the dad didn't even give any, give him any room to even say he was there. Oh, here's my seven sons. Like, is there any more sons? Oh, he, oh you know, I forgot I had one more. He's the baby. He's out in the field. Anybody ever felt neglected by your own parents? By somebody, a father figure or something? Somebody stepped out of your life? Somebody just not give you time or day and you've just been trying to do it yourself? I mean, how do you forget your youngest sons out in the field tending? I mean, we could feel all kinds of different ways from that. But still, that didn't stop him. And he goes out with, he had some cheese, he had some bread, and he was bringing it out there. And all of a sudden, how's it going? He's excited. Three older brothers are at war. And hold up. What's this crazy nine-foot-tall giant doing? You know what I'm saying? It shook him to his core that it shook the ranks. That word got around that David, this kid is talking about this guy and how he can take him. Because nobody was talking about how they can take him. They're just getting up. Imagine getting up, grabbing your sword and shield on the 38th day, on the 26th day, and you're still doing the same thing. And ain't nobody wanting to move a muscle. We're, okay, let's go out here. Uh, who's going who's gonna to step up? All right, let's go back. And nobody stepped up. And this kid comes out of nowhere and says, I'll step up. And he's wearing, you know, just regular clothes. He wasn't even in any war outfit. He was just in his outfit. So the backstory to some of that is, like he was talking about, is here David became anointed king um, back in chapter 16 when Samuel went out and God had sent him to find somebody to take Saul's place because the anointing had left Saul. And it says in verse 13, um, in chapter 16, it said, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. If you go down and look into the next little section of scriptures, it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And it said, Saul's servant said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit of God is tormenting you. Let the Lord now command your servants her before you to seek out a man that is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. And Saul pretty much tells him, okay, that's fine. Go do that. I don't like the way I'm feeling. And they come back down to him. In um, verse 19, it says, or verse 18, it says, One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem, uh, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And therefore Saul sent his messengers and they went after David and it ended up happening that every time David would play for Saul, the spirit would depart for him. And so before David even went before Saul for the battle, he had already been in the king's presence playing worship. And what's crazy that got me about this that I had never recognized before, but that the servants of Saul say he is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war. How would they know that? David ain't never gone out to battle to literally fight a battle in his life yet. At this minute. He had never gone before any host of armies. The only armies he had ever gone before was the host of the armies of the Lord. And he played in his worship and he worshiped God. And yes, he fought the lion and the bear and those things. But there, David knew how to fight in his spirit. And that was so crazy because they recognized that. They recognized that he was a warrior by spirit and that spiritually this was a war that Saul was fighting and it wasn't going to be fought by flesh. So So that takes me to our first point. Number one, always wear your uniform. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, says very clearly, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening up the prison to them that are bound. Next one. 
It says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he might be glorified. What's crazy is David had already been anointed by Samuel at this time. And from the moment on, he clothed himself with the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He praised God no matter what he faced, no matter whether he was lonely. Because I'm telling you what, he was out there by himself in those fields day and night, night and day, in and out of those moments, lonely. And all he had sheep and all they got to say is that. That's not comforting. That's actually annoying. They said that was one of the worst jobs they have. It was. Back then. It was the lowliest job at that time. Yep. And here David is out there, and all he does is he begins to play his harp and his lyre and worship God and believe in God. And what happens is at that moment, God is training him to be a spiritual warrior, to fight battles that no matter what's going on in my private time, I'm going to focus on God. And at that moment, from the moment that David was anointed and his head was covered and the spirit of the Lord came on him, David never, ever took off his joy and his praise. He was continually ready for battle. Why do you think the call to grit dressed had gone out before any of this took place? Yeah. You got to put it on. Yeah. You got to put on praise, even when you don't feel like it. Praise isn't something that you do just because it's a, a hallelujah and a good time on a Sunday morning. Praise is the grit inside of you that tells God he's good when everything else is horrible. It says to put on the fullness of joy just like you put your clothes on today. you got to put it on and start walking in it even if you don't feel like it. You have to put it on. It's just not like, oh, I'm just joyful today. No, you have to choose to be joyful. You have to choose to put it on today. Or you can sit and waller in your mess and not put it on at all. Even if you don't feel like it, you have to choose. But when you choose and you start walking in it, the joy of the Lord will strengthen you for the day. I'll never forget something that was said to me one time. It was said, do what's right because it's right until it feels right. Yeah. Sometimes doing what's right doesn't feel right at the moment. It doesn't agree with your situation. It doesn't agree with what the world is saying around you. But you do what's right because it's right until you know that it comes upon you to be right. That, that, that anointing that God had given David, I'm sure at that moment, he didn't feel like he was the right man for the job. No. Well, and, and if you think about it, listening to what happened, Saul lost his anointing. He disobeyed God. God found somebody else, a kid, basically, and said he's going to be anointed king. David never once... Um, was boastful about it. I mean, they heard about a kid that's out there playing with his harp and soothing and just singing and worshiping, so they brought him to the king. I mean, imagine that, com that, that situation right there. Somebody comes to get you, and you need to go before the king. Two things could happen real quick. He found out you got anointed, and you're about to take his job, and he's about to kill you. Or you just stay in your worship and just say, God, you're, you lead the way. You lead the way. And he knew as soon as he went in there, I've been anointed king. His brothers were there. They knew. That's why they were jealous on the battlefield. Oh, you're here just boasting. Oh, you're here just causing trouble. You're here. They didn't say it. They didn't say, yeah, you've been anointed. You're going to be king. They didn't say anything. But the thing is, is they knew and he knew. So as he was in the presence of the king, he just stayed humble and kept in his worship. And they said as they grabbed him, he is a man of war. He's not even a man yet, but of war. And then when David went to the king, he's like, Goliath's been a man of war since his teens. Well, David is a teen, and he already called him a man of war. And the relationship, because I'm like, at first you think about this, how in the heck is this man even able to get into the presence of the king? Because he was already summoned to him in his private quarters. He was already summoned to him. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm going to say it again. You've heard us say this in the past. What you defeat in private, the giant will fall in public. Nobody knew he killed that bear or that lion. He didn't put it on blast. He didn't do all this other stuff to, to show that he did it. So they can say, oh, yeah, I, oh, we're going to pick that kid. You ever played basketball, dodgeball, or any sport where all, all the kids are lined up on the wall? And they kind of determine how they should pick first. 
you finally get the two captains and then you're picked on first maybe you got a good height for whatever you're doing or you look the part we, we pick on the appearance first and then we go to pick on uh, you know from what we know from the past they did good on that game and uh, have you ever been the last kid picked I have I want to be the last kid picked I want to play dumb just practice and act like I can't do nothing and they're like pick me last but the reality is, is we thank God that he doesn't just look at the appearance on the outside. He looks at the heart. And he doesn't look at your past to determine what you're going to do in your future. Amen? Well, David's mind was covered by the anointing and his Absolutely. heart by his desire for God. It was all led by worship. It was all led by worship. It was all led by the praise he had for God no matter what was going on. So don't take off your armor. Number two, the enemy always recognizes its adversary's choice of weapons. Boom. The enemy will always think about in any war that has ever been fought, what do they want to know first and foremost? What kind of weapons are they fighting with? What are we going up against? Yeah. Because the stronger the weapon to them, the greater the adversary is that they have to fight. In 1 Samuel 16, 18, go back to that again. It says, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, Beth, the Bethlehemite, who is plain, skillful and plain, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Again, we had said David had never, ever fought a battle until this, but he was known as a man of war. It was because of his praise. The battles we fight are always foundational in the spirit realm. Everything we deal with always has a foundation in the spirit. They come up from that. You're fighting a battle of spiritual things almost every time you fight a battle that's trying to come against you. And we wonder why we're struggling fleshly is because you're trying to fight something with the flesh that was meant to be fought by the spirit of God. So good. Who's ready in this house today to take some of your battles Fire that war. you've been fighting over and over and declare war, but not by your flesh anymore because you know you're tired. You know you're worn out. And God's saying, are you done yet? But you say, no, I'm not done, but I'm done fighting it this way, and I declare war it's on good. the enemy in my it's life. It's good. You have to let your spirit override your flesh, or your flesh is going to override your spirit, and you will bow down to it every single time. Every time. Well, David understood that. Yeah. He was a man of war in the spirit, so he knew how to strategize against the enemy. And so the enemy will always try to decide, okay, what kind of weapons are we dealing with? They say that our country is one of the strongest countries in the world with weaponry. And you see movies or old westerns and stuff. Why are you taking a knife to a gunfight? You ever heard that saying, trying to take a knife to a gunfight? Depends if he's really good with a knife. I don't know. He can, if he's a ninja, he can do something weird. But... The reality is you have to know the weapons that you have for yourself. I'll just let you know this up front. The enemy already knows what weapons you have and That's what right. you're not using. That's right. You have to know what you have and you have to use it. Maybe you, you've wondered, like, how do I get started? I've messed up or I'm, I'm struggling. You know what you do? You get up. That's right. Pick up your sword. Pick up the shield. Get up. Just get up. When people are falling, just get back up. If you're going to fall, fall forward so you can keep moving forward. Get back up. Pick it up. Wipe off and keep going. Keep going. Because, listen, you got to get up. You have to because if you don't, you're going to get trampled on. You're going to lay there and you're going to wish and then you're going to say these statements. Well, I'll do it next time. Well, later I'll do that. Well, I might get to that. All the enemy does is he just entraps you with all those weird thoughts of not doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you declare war, you got to get up. You have to get going. I'm going to read this. Christy, it's not in there. That's okay. I was thinking about this with the weaponry. And this is back in, in, in chapter 13. It says that there were, no, there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them a fear of making swords and, and spears for the, for the Hebrews. So they, the Philistines overruled Israel. And they wouldn't allow any blacksmiths in the land. So... Whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plows, their, their picks, their axes, their uh, sickles, they would take them to the Philistine blacksmith. 
This is the scripture. The charges were as followed. A quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening the plow or the pick. An eighth of an ounce of silver for sharpening the axe. Or making the point of the, uh, or for the, the sharpening the axe. So on the day of battle, none of the people of Israel had sword, spear, except for Saul and Jonathan. Think about this. They would not allow a blacksmith in that land. They would, they would actually destroy it. And they would overcharge. We went to Universal one of the days we were there. A bottle of water. Uh, like seven, eight dollars. It was the best water I've ever had. <laughs> I was drinking my spit as much as I could until I needed that water. <laughs> a bottle of water for eight dollars? Are you kidding me? Supply and demand. You're thirsty. You ain't leaving. You gotta have it. I remember going to the, the Pacer game, and they're like, "Here's a bottle of water. It's seven bucks." Oh, by the way, we keep the caps. I'm like, I paid seven dollars. You better get my three dollar cap, sucker. But they were overpricing any Israelites that would come over to sharpen anything. They wanted to take the advantage. We will control your weaponry. If you want anything sharpened, we'll sharpen it. You're not making swords. You're not making... So think about this now. Fast forward a couple chapters. They're out there and Goliath's like, pick your best warrior to fight me. And Goliath goes in the depth of how big his, the, the sword is and how much his stuff weighs. What does, what does Israel have? Farm tools? And the king and the, the son have a sword? I mean, this is what it says. That they would not allow things like that to happen. To have the actual the tools, the swords, the weaponry that they needed to defeat the enemy. So, just to give you that whole heads up. You have to find and use what you have, basically. You're not at a disadvantage. No. And that's what David understood. He understood that our weapons are praise that destroy yep. the enemy. It wasn't about what you have in your hand. It's what you have in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. And he knew that. And they were not disadvantaged, but they believed they were because they looked at their disadvantages in the flesh that kept them from doing their advantages in the spirit. Many times we allow our disadvantages that we have in our flesh, the things, the illnesses, the things going on, the heartbreak, the destruction going around, the finances, the things that we don't have. We look so much at our lack that we miss what we have. Yeah. That's why David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Nothing. Because You're not at a disadvantage. Because he knew that whatever he had, if God could grace it, it was more powerful than any weapon that anybody else had with the anointing of God on it. And I think that's why the enemy has tried to shut you up, shut your praise up. He can't stand it. He can't because he, that's the job he lost in heaven. The head singer, the, the, the most beautiful voice. If he can shut you down, he can just separate you a little bit. He'll try to destroy your life. Well, he can't stand in your praise. No. The enemy can't stand in your praise. And my question to you is, if the enemy isn't bowing, then who are you praising? Mm. If the enemy's not bowing, who are you praising? Because the size of the world's weapons are never larger than the weapons God has placed inside of you. So good. God will empower whatever tools you have when you give them to him. David's war cry was destructive to the enemy. His weapon was his heart for God, period. His heart for God drove him. That intensity to want to do what God had for him, that intensity to want to be like God, that intensity to know that God was in control of all things, that he trusted and he believed in God, drove him that the tools that he did have, which were minute to what the enemy had, a little sling and a stone in his hand, but it wasn't even about that. I believe that the belief that David had was what empowered the tools that he had in the flesh. It was the belief, the heart for God. Number three, yeah. you were never created to be a spectator of war, but a fighter. It's good. The Israelites allowed the fear of the battle to be greater than the God of the army. 
They allowed the fear of the battle to be greater than the God of the army. And this infuriated David. It ticked him off. I'm telling you, he was a young boy, but it ticked him off. If you look back in chapter 17 at verse 36, it said, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach for Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It made him mad. The defamation of God's character should cause the warrior inside of you to rise. When you know that God's character is being defamed, that his reputation inside of you is being slammed, it should cause you to rise. It should cause you to want to do something about it. We're, we're too, we, we become too numb to things. Like general things. And we'll listen to certain songs and it'll say all kinds of stuff and we're so numb to it that we just let it slip. Let it fly right by. Certain things, on, we're so numb to it, it's just, it's just part of what it is now. It's just what it is now. We're so numb to it. it there, there comes a point when you declare war that you just stand for what is right. The standards of who God is. And you decide that I am going to do this. You decide to say no. No, not again. Not anymore. No matter what it is. I know that even for myself, there was moments. I remember we watched, we were talking about movies. We, we had some movie at the house, and we, we watched it when we were younger. Is that the word? Yeah. Dumb. Dumb. <laughs> we're like, we ain't seen that in a long time. Let's watch that. We turned that thing on and started watching it, and F-bombs and all kinds of stuff started happening. And I was like, what the? I stopped the movie, and we just looked at each other. And I'm like, were we that numb, desensitized? See, when, when God really anoints you, when he, when he really takes a hold of your life, he unveils everything. Well, if we would be, quit being so offended by everything well, that everybody says about us and start being offended about what everybody's saying about God, we'd really not be offended anymore because we'd be worried about the kingdom instead of ourselves. Hmm. Say that again, because I think about, yeah, say it again. If we would quit being so offended about what everybody says about us and things that are going on in our lives and start being more offended about what they're saying about God and worried about the kingdom, we would quit being so worried about ourselves and more concerned about what God has for us. So good. This isn't about you anyways. It's not about you. It's time that you raise your war cry. It's time to fight. It's time, time to, to stand. Fight. It's time to raise it out. Our fight is about returning glory to God and yep. his kingdom to the rightful owner. This isn't about you. I'm telling you we're in a time of time of times. And this is time that we as the church arise. The reputation of God is on the line. What are you going to do about it? It's time to fight. Too many times we say, well, we're just, we're just waiting on the Lord. And there's moments of waiting on the Lord, but you've been waiting for 15 years. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Seems you should have been fighting than waiting. But I thought it said, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. up. Yeah. That means get up. Move. Do something about it. Last point, number four. Well, let me, let me finish this. We, we talk about waiting on the Lord, but more or less, we, we should have been fighting. Yeah. We should have been fighting because there's a giant that's been in our life that you won't admit to, and it's got you at a standstill. You've meant to be fighting you're meant to be in the war, but you're paralyzed. It's got you at a standstill. The only giants that, you, that don't come down in your life are the ones you're unwilling to attack. Let me say it again. The only giants that don't come down in your life are the ones you're unwilling to attack. So what do we do 
Do we just say, I don't have a giant? I don't have a giant. It's not really there. Let's just sing worship songs. Let's just, let's just sing worship songs real quick. Let me just worship over here. Let's just ignore it. Let's act like it doesn't exist. That this is just giant in my life is not, not a thing. Let's just be quiet about it. You know, it's a private giant. Is there ever such a thing as a private giant? It's just a private one. You will never hear me church, hear me everybody online. You will never conquer what you ignore. You will never conquer what you ignore. Please believe. There's only one response to giants in our lives. We have to make a decision to face it. We have to declare war. We have to declare war and know that the giant's going down under the name of Jesus, not under your name. Nothing's going to get defeated in your name, not in my name, not even the name of this church. Only the name of Jesus will things fall. We are meant to fight. Tired of being held back by this thing called life. Enough's enough. Today we fight. Today we declare war. We declare war because in the end, you have to face it. You have to look at it and face it and say enough's enough. He's greater than this situation. But here, can I just talk to you for a minute? The problem we face is the things we have dealt with in the past have shaped us to who we are today. And we're afraid if we let that go, we don't know who we are after that. But Christ is greater. He will fill the void. And you will be greater than you've ever been. And I'm not taking your situations or anything that's happened to you lightly. Maybe your attitude's the way it is because of things that's happened to you in your past. Maybe the way you look at things because stuff has happened. We're shaped around things. If we don't declare war on it, we will let it shape us and we will always run. We will stand there for 40 days and 40 nights wondering if that, well, wonder if the giant's just going to leave. He's not going anywhere. You got to slay it. And you can. You can slay it. That's the beauty of it. Not your strength, his strength. But you got to quit being so ignorant to the fact that you have a problem. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You're good, why do you always complain? You're good, you always have to have someone in your life. You're good, you always have a problem. You're good, you can't do anything by yourself. What the heck are you talking about you're good? There is a giant in your life. You need to slay it and lay it down. That's the reality of this. And it's more personal than anything else. What happens in the fight? It always happens with people around you. you. You start seeing all this stuff happen with people around you. You have to slay your giant. You have to. When you declare war with the enemy, he's going to just start coming in. I promise I got up, I was fine, I was working out, I got home, and I felt this sharp pain through my whole body. And I know for a fact it is an attack of the enemy than anything else. I ain't done anything different. But what did I do? I got up, and I kept coming, and I'm here. I didn't say it didn't exist or it wasn't a problem, but I'm not going to leave without slaying that dang giant. We got to be real with it. Well, what would be, who cares what people think? Nobody cares. Why are we so trapped in all that? Acceptance and all that stuff. Everybody was flipping out in the word. What, what, well, we can't do nothing. And David comes in and says, who's this fool? My God is greater than this big, ugly giant. I will take his head off now. And Saul gives him a weapon. and gives him everything. Well, David, you wonder if he's, I mean, he's like that, but David didn't have weapons. He had sticks and stones may break my bones. You know, that's all he had. He goes, he gets the, the smooth stones. He, he has a, a staff. He only needed one. 
He grabbed five. Well, what I love about David, he was young. And no matter how old or how young, God will use you to cut a head off. I'm telling you right now. But what I loved about the situation that it talks about is David ran at Goliath. I wasn't trying to figure out how he was going to get in this defensive mode. If David tried to swing, he said, I'm coming for you first. And he ran towards Goliath. And whipped it up. Go ahead. Well, it says in verse uh, 43, it said, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the Let's armies go. of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the, give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into, his, into our hand. What's great is he didn't even fight the battle. Didn't, he didn't even come back. You know how many people I know that say they're a Christian and they're like, I'm a good Christian. And when somebody gets in an argument, they want to argue back like the same way that they're arguing. That's not going to win the battle. Not at all. David turns it back around and says, listen, it's about the spirit of God. That's how I'm going to win this. It's not about what you have. Yes, you, you got some weapons. They're big. But this ain't even about your weapons. I'm going to take you out by the spirit of the Lord. That's right. That's how you're going to fall. It's powerful. And what you've got to realize is sometimes you may be the only one standing on the battlefield, but the God in you is bigger than who you are, and that's okay. Yeah. You may be the only one standing, but that doesn't matter. God's mm. given you the power, and you are the weapon. You are. Somebody say, I am a weapon. I am a weapon. Come on, say it again. I am a weapon. I am a weapon. Okay, is there anybody in this house who believes that? Come on, somebody say, I am a weapon. I am a weapon. That's right. See, when you declare war, you got to get a little loud about it, because... David got loud. They got, oh my gosh. There weren't no megaphones. There, there, was, there was a roar. There was such a roar that you couldn't even hear it. I remember going to one of the playoff games. I couldn't even hear myself think. Just rah! But in war, the battle, it probably got real quiet at first. Like, oh my God, here we go. And then when David took that man and dropped him. Cut off his head. And look what David got. Man never owned a sword in his life probably. And got the biggest sword in the planet. <laughs> he cut his head off with his own weaponry and took his, took all his uh, shield, his weapon, everything of, of Goliath, and, and he got to keep it. it. It's powerful. Yeah. And what God spoke to me was that last point of number four says that the Goliath of your today is the crowning of your tomorrow. The Goliath of your today yeah. is the crowning of your tomorrow. You win the war to reach your destiny one battle at a time. Yeah. Goliath was just the beginning for David. He was just the beginning of battles. But it elevated him to his future purpose. He came in to be king. He ended up getting the prize. The word was the word what the king gave that he was going to win yeah. the, um, the, the daughter. And then he married. How else was David to become king? He was not an heir to the throne. God made a way. He had to fight this battle in order to position himself for his purpose. God already knew. God knew. David didn't come ready to fight in a way. He wasn't getting hype at home in his, in his mirror, flexing, and like, okay, we're going to do this. Dad's like, go bring bread and cheese to the boys and give me a report. And so he's giving cheese and bread to the boys and the, and the guys, and then uh, brother tacky mouth started talking. And it jacked him up. And he's like, keep your bread and cheese. I'm about to beat the fool out of this guy. He ain't going to sit here and talk about our king. He ain't going to sit here and talk about our God. That is greater than anything. What are you? And he challenged everybody. And that's why people were getting upset. And see, when God rises up in you and you want to hold a standard, it kind of gets other people upset because they don't have a standard. 
and, and it, it gets them a little flustered because you're, you're saying, no, there's a standard here. I'm about to fight this thing. Why ain't you moving? Well, you're just offending me right now by coming at me like that. It's called accountability. Do you know how many people are offended today? In all life? We can't do nothing. Kids can't lose. They win every trophy. When they lose. We can't just try to teach them how to, how to fight and win. We got to fight. The battle you're facing today is one victory away from your dreams, one victory away from your healing, one victory away from your calling in God. Battles fought for the Lord come with a true king's reward. Yeah. He wants to elevate you to fulfill your true purpose for him, but you must choose to fight. Quit waving your white flag of surrender to the enemy and raise your war cry today. God's been preparing you for this moment. You're here for this season, for this very day. God is preparing you. And let me tell you what, you each individually know the battle that you're facing when you leave this room today. And not only do you know that battle privately, but let's make it bigger corporately and for the world. We know the battle we're facing. They're talking about another surge of the coronavirus and all different kinds of things. And look at the things we're facing. But I'm telling you, my God is bigger. He is better. And he is going to win this battle. Don't back down. Quit waving the white flag of surrender. Stop waving it of surrender. I'm not talking about surrendering to God. I'm talking about quit bowing to the enemy in your life. Your weapon of praise is greater. God wants you to defeat those little things, the bears and lions, whatever the closet experiences are for you. He needs you to defeat those things. There is a giant out there. We declare war on it, and it is time to fight. It it's is time. time. I'm going to read you what I wrote on this whole deal. Some of these thoughts are beach thoughts, I guess. The water hit, the, hit my feet. We are at war. Started thinking about this. The book of Revelations, figuratively, depicts the war of Satan against God, against the Lamb of God and the saints of God. It is the struggle of good and evil. It's the struggle of right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness. It's the general struggle that began in the Garden of Eden. Satan's attacks throughout the Old Testament which started in the garden in the New Testament began Satan tempts Jesus on his 40 day fast but see the reason Jesus came is because he declared war and he he changed the game. So he tempts Jesus and then in the end influences the minds of religious leaders to crucify Christ. The Bible specifically says that Satan entered the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Betray Jesus. That he sifted Peter like wheat to deny Jesus. That he filled the heart of Ananias to lie for a monetary gain. Consistently, the Bible writes and warns us against the devil. Peter calls him the adversary, a roaring lion whom seeks, who may seek to devour. John says that Satan seeks to invoke sin in our lives to become more like him. Paul constantly warns us of the devil in his writings. He described the devil as crafty, clever, and cunning. Resist the devil, he urges. Jesus flat out says it. Calls the devil our enemy. The devil is evil. He fills the world with wickedness. He spreads envy, jealousy, and hate. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He subdued the hearts 
of corrupt men and women. For his wave of destruction on the human race. The devil has declared war on us. The devil divides nations. Racists. Creates chaos among the people. But more than that, Satan, the devil, invades our homes with filthy entertainment. Fills our minds with lustful thoughts. Floods the internet. He's the biggest clickbait of them all. The tempter calls good evil and evil good. He destroys marriages. He destroys human life. He destroys what we call holy. He glorifies perversion. He undermines godly values. He attacks Christianity. He desires to destroy you. We declare war. We declare war on the enemy. Satan assaults our churches. He assaults our home. He assaults marriages. He assaults kids, teenagers, young adults. He assaults our minds. He assaults the schools. It's time for preachers and pastors and churches to declare war. For mothers and fathers to declare war. For brothers and sisters to declare war. Young people declare war. Kids declare war. Let's fight for our families. Let's fight for the heart of God. Let's fight for the fellowship. Let's fight for the local church. Let's fight for spiritual purity. Paul's battle cry has never been more appropriate than today. Paul's battle cry has never been more appropriate than today. Ephesians 6.10 Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand up. Stand firm. Stand firm. Church, we're making it public today. We're making it public today. It's August 1st, 2021, and we declare war. We declare war. We declare war. War. We declare. We're taking back the families. We're taking back the cities. We're taking back the churches. Pastors, if you hear me, declare war in your place. Declare war in your church. Church, declare war in your family. Declare war in the 